Good morning. It is Tuesday, July 6th, 2021, and this is DC Signal to Noise. Happy Independence Day, everyone. I sure hope that you had a fun and safe celebration of our country's independence. Uh, Jim, good morning. It's good to see you. Good morning. It was so long that uh, it was enough time for the Nats to lose four straight. Well, you think that's impressive. Wait until we get to the Cubs talk here in just a second, okay? But uh, since we last checked in, I received barely measurable rainfall. I mean, Mm. barely measurable rainfall outside the bunker in northeast Iowa. Uh, There are rains falling in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota this morning. Increased chances for rain and cooler temperatures in the middle of the country, although some key areas in the central Corn Belt could and probably will miss out again. Nonetheless, it looks like the grain markets are going to be off to a lower start as we get things fired up here this morning. Okay, Jim, if the Cubs have done anything well since we last talked, uh, what they've, they, they have proven that the road game no-hitter curse is real. Yeah, <laughs> the Cubs have played 10 games since throwing that no hitter in L.A. And they haven't won any of the 10 that they played since then. They're a game under 500 in third place in the NL Central. And that's about where the Nats are, too. We're one the, or two behind again. Nats, but yeah. we're, we're lacking key players. We, you just can't oh. play without your key players. You know, we got our we got most of the key guys back last night. Um, some some players that I've been missing, wanting to see on the field. Yeah. And uh, I hate – I don't know how I can call a 13-3 to game against the Phillies close, but it was give and take at least for the first few innings. Does that count? <laughs> no, it does not count. But it takes about a week to 10 days for those returning players, yeah. as you well know, Chip, to get their uh, you know, rhythm. Yeah, that's right. Nationals 5-5 five and five out of the last team uh, – out of the last 10 – Game under 500, second place in the East. Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot. My gosh, he's just exploded. 16 home runs in June, Jim. Yes, but, but he's out of the lineup now. And so yeah. he'll come back after the All-Star break. Right, right. All right, I'm AgriTalk host J- Chip Flory, and that is Pro Farmer Policy Analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Jim. Congress is out this week. I mean, couldn't have we taken the week off too? It seemed like we were off a week, actually, and I had visitors, so I had too much fun. Okay, it seemed like a true vacation for once, you know. But uh, work work is going to is continuing, Chip, uh, to write legislative language for those two major bills, the traditional infrastructure and the human infrastructure bill, which is really going to be the reconciliation measure. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. Jim, there have been several issues and, and uh, court decisions regarding the biofuel industry, and I we've got a very special guest with us this morning, uh, and I don't want to wait any here to introduce her. Emily Score is the CEO of Growth Energy. She is a frequent guest on AgriTalk and, and is someone that the whole biofuels industry looks to for leadership on key issues. Emily, welcome to Signal to Noise. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with both of you. Yeah, glad that you are here. Jim, I know that you are anxious to talk with Emily about some of these issues. Uh, 
I'm going to let you kick it off. Go ahead. Sure, sure Emily. And this uh, this gives you an opportunity without commercial breaks to, to get the <laughs> yeah. you know, message out, which is another reason I love the podcast. But uh, I surveyed my best contacts and they gave me, I boiled down what uh, they had to a series of eight. I don't know whether we'll have time to get to them all. I think we will. But the first one, the court said, the U.S. District Court said its reasoning was clear. Uh, so the question is, why can't uh, you and other biofuel proponent lawyers anticipate these things when they at least they said it was clear that it was limited to E10 rather than E15? Okay, so, you know, it's a, it's a good question. And this is the conversation that I actually had with my general counsel Friday afternoon as I, too, read the court opinion. Um, and the district court uh, panel of three judges, three zero invalidated. Uh, the EPA's final rule that allowed for year-round sales of E15. But if you read the opinion, it's a very selective opinion. And so the, the judges really, they talked through the train of thought that they adhered to. And they didn't take the opinion, they didn't take the time in the opinion to contemplate some of the best arguments that we brought forward. So if you haven't been privy to all of the arguments on both sides and you read the opinion, they're not contemplating you know, what I think are some of the of the best arguments and what gave us confidence going into that decision. So uh, having said that, you know, where we are right now is we we have a court opinion and we have to think through the immediate short term impacts and the long term impacts and what we do about it, because we know we as a nation need to be using higher blends of biofuels for a host of reasons. We need that as an industry. So that's kind of our focus moving forward. Can, can EPA adjust its E15 rule to effectuate year long sales or or not? No, I mean, the court's decision invalidated that. So the court okay. essentially says, no, EPA, you wanted, you wanted to give a summer uh, waiver, read vapor pressure waiver to E15. And we think that that is, that is beyond your power. Uh, and so what happens in the short term is that's the court opinion, but it's not the, it's not the mandate right now. So we have a few legal hurdles, a few legal steps that we go through in the next uh, several weeks uh, before that actually be takes effect. And so our focus right now is to make sure we can preserve the summer driving season. And then we focus on kind of how to fix this for next summer driving season. Well, let's get to the impact because I think uh, your joint statement said it could reduce E15 summer sales by 90%. But what volume, you know, not this year, really on, you know, 2022, but what volume are we talking about with that statement? In other words, what's the impact of E15, you know, year long in summer sales? Uh, how much yeah. more ethanol? How much more? So it's hard to put it into volume. And I know that's always a more satisfying number. But you have to look across the country at where do you have reformulated gas market? And then where are we selling E15? Most of our E15 sales are in areas where you need that RVP waiver. So most of our summer sales will go away if we don't find a way that we can get RVP through other type of legislative or regulatory or, or through litigation. But again, when you, when you came up with that 90% figure, that had to be 90% based on some type of volume, no? Yeah, based on based on the volume in the sales. And I don't have the volumetric gotcha. number for you. Okay. But I, you know, I'll go back to the commercial team and see if I can get that. If but you I know could, yes, because yeah. that's what analysts and traders are trying yeah. to determine there. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I... Uh, you know, looking at the history of this issue, I know you all early on wanted to push for codifying this policy, which would have been yeah. the, the right move, right? Right. 
Yeah. So back in back in 2016 and 2017, there was a bill introduced that would have codified that would have the the, the issue before the court is it contains um, 10% ethanol or contains at least 10% ethanol. So the legislation introduced uh, many years ago would have changed the the reading. So it says contains at least 10% ethanol. So yes, we have to resurrect those conversations with our congressional champions because that's one of the potential avenues that we are going to pursue to see if we can get this fix done once and for all. Okay. Chip, I have other questions, but mainly outside of the E15, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, ethanol, I don't know whether you have any specific ones. Well, I was just going to say, Emily, there can be a legislative fix to this, can't there? There can be a legislative fix. Um, And, you know, Jim, you talked about what what the bills that are are being worked on right now. So there's a kind of a hard infrastructure and maybe soft infrastructure, human infrastructure. So, you know, fortunately, there are bills moving. We believe that if if a bill could be introduced, that it could potentially fit into something that's going to be moving this summer. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to get that bill introduced. I mean, fortunately, this topic is familiar to many of our champions. So we have to do a little bit of re-education with some of their staff, but that's those are the conversations that we're gonna be taking place with staff this week while Congress is out of session. Is it easier to put it on, you know, nothing's easy as you well know in this town anymore, but is it easier to put it on the physical infrastructure bill as opposed to uh, getting policy in a reconciliation bill? I'd like to think that we could put it on the physical infrastructure bill, the bipartisan bill that everybody's talking about. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's certainly our goal. And those are conversations that we're still, you know, in the process of taking place with our champions. Sure. Yeah. Your champions. Um, I I assume that we're talking about Grassley, Ernst. um, Grassley, Ernst, Klobuchar. Actually, Um, yeah. And so, in fact, Senator Klobuchar introduced a series of bills last week that yeah. would help promote, you know, higher blends. So, um, I mean, we've been having regular conversations with our champions on all the ways that we need to expedite higher blends. Everybody, I think, in the industry and our champions are going to understand, my gosh, we can't do this if we aren't don't have the ability to sell E15 year round. Yeah. So I think this will quickly catapult it to the very top of the conversation list. Has, e, has EPA responded yet to the court ruling? I didn't see anything yet. I don't believe so. So there, um, you know, the next step is you've got 45 days before this becomes kind of the mandate. And so there is an appeals process. So, uh, you, you know, we will be having conversations with EPA don't yet know their intentions. We, of course, are interveners in the in the lawsuit. We aren't part right. of the lawsuit as an industry. But we, right. will, we will encourage them to. Yeah, <laughs> to, Emily, to Department of Department of Justice defended this for EPA. Did they do a good job? Do you um, think that they understood the issue? You know, we worked um, we worked as closely as we could with them to kind of offer our expertise and our perspective. We appreciated that in the oral argument, um, Department of Justice did give three minutes of time to the industry. So we had counsel that was able to, to I think, do a little bit of cleanup that was required to clarify a few points. I think in the oral arguments, um, we felt that kind of some of the judges, they asked a line of questioning that that indicated maybe they weren't fully briefed on, on the facts. And this is a complicated facts uh, um, case. So, you know, I think, um, would we have done things differently if we were in charge? Yes, probably. 
And it seems like with the Supreme Court ruling and now this district court ruling, they're really narrowing in on very selective issues, you know, like extension in the case of the Supreme Court decision. I guess that's somewhat frustrating to you all, isn't it? It's very frustrating, of course. I mean, these were two, within the span of a week, we've got two big court decisions handed down, not in our favor. So, of course, we're disappointed. Um, and so, you know, now for... For oftentimes we would say, okay, well, we'll 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 leave it to the courts to rectify the situation. Well, okay, that's not going to be the answer in those two situations. So now we've got to find, you know, um, another avenue. Now, now on the small refinery exemptions, all the signs leading up to the SCOTUS decision from this administration really do suggest they're not going to return to the days of abusive exemptions. Um, I think they're going to try and curtail that in line with what is appropriate for. Um, the RFS. So I don't believe that this decision is going to open the floodgate and we're going to see the scale of exemptions that we saw with the previous administration. That bridges us into my other questions. Thank you for that. When are you hearing when we might finally get an EPA announcement? Because from as of early this morning, uh, EPA had not yet sent over the proposed rule, and unless they change their procedure, it really has to go over to uh, OIRA at OMB before uh, they even have the possibility of releasing the rule. Y- y- you know, do you have any sense of timeline? No, um, and you're right. I mean, that's our understanding as well. It hasn't yet gone to to OIRA, and it's got to go through kind of the final stages of interagency review. I mean, in all of our conversations, they have said, we want to meet the timetable. We want to get this done, finalized by end of November per the statute. So it does need to come out very soon for them to be able to go through the public comment uh, period. And, you know, I think quite honestly, there's a lot on their plate. They need to contend with the Supreme Court decision. Now they need to contend with, with this decision on RVP. So no news, but I would hope in the next week or two. We'll next week out. or two. Okay. Yeah. But we've given we've been given no timetable. And again, I think you've answered this. But what do you think the Supreme Court ruling does for one? The backdated request for SREs you don't expect many, if any, right? Right. And and the request for 2019 and 2020 compliance year. Yeah. So I mean, important to understand what what is the Supreme Court decision? What are the implications? It takes one tool away from our toolbox. So we argued that if you get an extension, it has to be a continuous extension. You've mm-hmm. got to get it every year. The Supreme Court said, no, that's not the case. However, it didn't comment on some of the other elements of that Tenth Circuit decision that reiterate, if you get an exemption, you have to show that your severe economic harm was absolutely connected to compliance with the RFS. Furthermore, don't come to us and say the cost of RINs is part of an economic harm. No, you pass through those costs as, as in the sale of your refined product. So those two levers remain in place. So that's very important for us to keep yes. in mind. And again, yeah. you know, kind of all of the signals coming out of EPA in the first six months suggest that I think they're going to try and do their due diligence and comply with the law, comply with the criteria. If an exemption very much can be tied to economic hardship associated with the RFS, we may see a few exemptions. But again, I don't think we're going to see the floodgates open on those. And and in the transparency bills, I think they include a much needed, uh, you know, to provide information that some of these uh, requested waivers are using to seek 
there, you know, you, you know, waiver, you know, that would be a gold mine of information to, to assess this topic. You well, know, it would be, be yeah, it'd be incredibly helpful. We'd like a little transparency into the process. If you're going to get a waiver, can we, let's let, there's basic information that we should have access to and we don't. And so you've had bills introduced that introduce uh, transparency into the process. Just last week, a bill introduced actually to, to clarify, it should be a continuous uh, exemption. Uh, that was a bill coming from uh, representatives Feenster and Craig. So um, we do need more access to information. In my conversations with this e EPA, I mean, um, Mr. Regan has committed in, in terms of, I wanna have good stakeholder engagement. I wanna have a good line of dialogue and communication back and forth. So. You know, we'll we'll see what information they bring forward and when as they're making some decisions on the. Uh, but we've got about seventy pending small refinery exemption yeah. requests yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, looking further ahead, Emily, what about the post twenty twenty two RFS situation in which EPA is planning to release EPA is planning to release yeah. a a proposed rule by the end of this year and finalize it by the end of twenty twenty two? You have any comments? Yes, I mean that's a huge rulemaking. Unlike any rulemaking we've ever done, usually it's the annual blending target. So that's the set for what the targets will be. Um, we anticipate, you know, based on our conversations, and it'll be an ongoing dialogue with the agency. We've already started having conversations with them. Um, what are they thinking? You know, for us, very importantly, you need an RFS that continues to lean forward. All right. That blends more biofuels. It increases that advanced pool. So we're increasing the conventional implied conventional pool. Um, you know, I would anticipate they will issue a set for maybe a couple of years. Uh, and then, you know, they might be contemplating, okay, what else um, after that? And so that's where we need to be creative and collaborative. And that's what we intend to do. And that's going to be a big part of our summer conversation with the agency. Now go over that again. What did you say for the next few years? So, I mean, I, you know, just extend, I would anticipate, no, that they will, they will set some targets for okay. 23 and 24 and 25. Okay. Um, but I don't think they're going to set targets for the next 10 years. It'll be gotcha. for the next few years. And then they'll kind of reevaluate, all right, what do we want to do with the program after that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a good time to remind everybody that is listening that uh, if you want to participate in the conversation, you are more than welcome to do that. Uh, just go to the comments tab over on the right side, click on that and put your comment or your question in there, which is exactly what Kirby has done. Uh, great question from Kirby here, Emily. How are retailers who have invested significant resources in better fuel options, that being higher blends, how are they weighing in? Um, they Well, so first and foremost, they want to preserve the summer driving season. They do not want any disruption. They're selling E15 right now. Consumers are buying it. Consumers are enjoying access to this value product. So they want to make sure that we can extend um, the, the date by which this court decision becomes kind of the, the, the law. Uh, and so we're having conversations with them, a lot of conversations Friday into this week to see kind of, again, there's some legal procedural things that, that we can do to hopefully protect the summer driving season. And they've already said, how can we be helpful? We want to be able to sell this product year round. What can we do together to make that happen? So we've got to be creative. We have to explore creatively what type of regulatory routes do we have? We'll exhaust kind of the appeals litigation route. And also, of course, we talked about legislatively. Um, that's an option on the table too, as well, to just get a get a new law passed that amends the Clean Air Act, so we have this clarified, um, and it's hopefully the end of the conversation at that point. Yeah. Now, if if I recall, this court case was initially implemented or called for in April, right? 
The oral arguments were in April. The oral arguments yeah. were in yeah. April. So yeah. the lawsuit, so if you go back, so we, you know, the, the EPA finalized year-round E15, June of 2019. So we're in our third drummers, our, yeah. our third summer driving season, but the oil refineries immediately sued. Um, and then it takes a little bit of time. There was a little bit of delay because of COVID, but oral arguments were, were in April of this year. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and on the on the RF on the RFS reset, which yeah. EPA has not identified has not identified a timeline for its rulemaking. Again, you have any sense of timing on that? I would anticipate. So there's the reset and then the set because of where we are right now, and we're in you know July of 2021. Um, you know, our our belief is that EPA will just kind of skip the reset and they'll go straight to the set. So we, we expect blending targets to come out okay. for 2021 and 2022 in the next couple of weeks. Then there'll be a proposed set for 23, 24, and so forth. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Gotcha. Emily, before these court decisions came out that ruled in favor of, of big oil refiners, whatever you want to say, it felt like the refiners and big oil were backing off a bit on the message because it was almost like they had had they they gained an understanding that their timeline uh, as a, a fuel for the marketplace is tied very closely to the availability of higher blends of, yeah. of ethanol and lower carbon fuels. You know, this is the kind of the twisted irony of this entire situation yeah. is that biofuels are the means by which we decarbonize liquid fuel. So the message, the conversation right now should be, how do we, as quickly as we possibly can, decarbonize liquid fuel because it's something that can be used affordably in every car, in every car on the road today? Like, it's a ready solution. And yet you've got the oil refineries who are suing to guarantee a 90% monopoly of the gas tank. They're suing to deny 180,000 additional jobs that we would see by moving to an E15 fuel nationwide to deny greenhouse gas reductions. And they're also denying the blending of the fuel that produces more RINs that brings down the RIN price that they've been bellyaching about for these past several weeks. It's it's ludicrous what's taking place. Yeah. And so, you know, every time I get the question about, well, shouldn't we be working with the oil industry? My question is, where on earth is the olive branch where they recognize that the greater we use biofuels, the more relevant liquid fuels are in the years to come? Well, some oil, some, not not many, have, have invested in the renewable fuels, have they not? Some have invested in renewable fuels and, and some in renewable diesel. So yes. you're seeing that, yeah. Yes. So basically what you just said, and, you know, I think, you know, you know Chip uh, agrees and I do as well, you need each other. We need, we are liquid fuels. Yeah. And so liquid fuels, we are more relevant. We are more impactful moving forward if you have a greater blend of ethanol. In the gas tank, yeah. it's going to keep the price down. It's going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and it's going to clean up the the, the emissions from a, from a human health perspective. Right. Okay, Emily. When do you think that we will get the first indication from the EPA that your your and the industry's thought process is on the mark that they're that the floodgates are not going to open up? on the small refinery exemptions. What does that timeline look like? I think it's going to be when the RVOs, the proposed RVOs come out. Okay. okay. For a few reasons, because there is precedent. If you recall the 2020 RVOs, 
for the first time, EPA estimated potential exemptions that yes. they would be handing out. Okay, so they said, you know, and we, we think we'll probably hand out 770 million in terms of exemptions. So they accounted for that in the final number. So okay, our expectation great. would be also that EPA do that for 2021 and 2022. So that would be an indicator of their forward leaning intentions. And then I think you can get a sense of what they may do with what's pending for 2019 and 2020. Okay. So is that also the day that we find out if the Biden administration is serious about their efforts to battle climate change? It's an absolute indicator. Yes. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, I mean, as we've said from day one with this administration, there's so much low hanging fruit with respect to the RFS that it's, it's already the law of the land. Just administer the law of the land as yeah. it's intended and you can immediately reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So yes, that'll be the first big uh, litmus test. Okay. Absolutely. Very good. Those three pieces of legislation that you mentioned that uh, Senator Klobuchar is bringing forward, Low Carbon Biofuel Credit Act, Biofuel Infrastructure and Agriculture Product Marketing, uh, Market Expansion, Expansion Act, excuse me, and the Clean Fuels Vehicle Act. All I, I was going to ask you to prioritize those, but it's difficult to do, isn't it? Well, I mean, they're all a priority. They're all going to help incentivize yeah. the use of higher blends. Okay, so we've got a credit for blending E15 or higher, a five cent tax credit if you blend E15, a 10 cent tax credit if you blend higher than E15. You've got a credit for FFBs to incentivize E85 use. And then you've got a billion dollars over 10 years for infrastructure investments. These are all magnificent things. These are all things that we need to expedite greater use of higher blends. So we're very pleased that the senator uh, came out with these uh, bills last week. Yeah. Uh, it, Emily, what is your background? Because you're quite articulate in this complex <laughs> subject, let me tell you. You know, Jim, you know my, what's my your background? background is in communications and public All right. affairs. Well, All thank right. You. There, there's the signal there that I needed. <laughs> no noise with you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Emily, you have been very generous with your time this morning. Jim, any last questions? And Emily, any last comments? Other than analyst, uh, biofuel analyst emailing me saying they've told their bosses they're taking Fridays off because they can't go fishing anymore because of these court challenges released on Fridays. You know, I, I did actually get an email reply. I'm fishing today. And we said that, yeah. So I understand. Uh, and, and, you know, Jim, I too was hoping to take this week off as well. Yeah. And then so, no, the, the, the fight continues for us. Um, we've got good champions that are very well educated. And this is an administration that has not only pledged a commitment to climate and greenhouse gas reduction, it has pledged in the president specifically commitment to rural America, to clean energy jobs and to a strong RFS. So yes. we need to hold them accountable to those pledges. And we'll see how things, um, you know, come to fruition in the weeks ahead, because there's a lot there's a lot of moving pieces right now this summer for us. Emily, good work. Thank you so much for coming on Signal to Noise. Keep it up and uh, you know we'll be talking again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. That is Emily Score. She is the CEO of Growth Energy. Jim, wow, a lot of information there. That was, and some news in there too within yep. the next two weeks and yep. their expectations of what some of those things will be. We're going to go to set rather than reset. At least that's what she thinks. There was some news in there, Jim. I think so too. I think so too. And and uh, um, the, the, uh, the other thing that I thought 
was was revealing was when I asked the question about what did she think of the DOJ's defense of that that they might have done things differently than what the DOJ did. They were yeah. thankful to get three minutes. Yeah. Three minutes in oral arguments. Boy, it, it makes you wonder. Um it 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 makes me wonder about the whole process is what it does. Well, but in those three minutes, you better nail it. You know, yeah. that's what it also says. And if it was anywhere close to what we heard her say, they, they have their facts and figures down, at least from my perspective. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, renewed my faith that the biofuel industry has very effective spokesmen on, in, on their yeah. side. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, outstanding, outstanding. Jim, I do want to ask you one question about something that did not happen last week that we all expected to happen and get this, what the signal was from that. We talked about it a bit on Friday on, on AgriTalk's uh, free-for-all. What signals are you taking from Vilsack not going to Wisconsin with President Biden? Well, I think it was smart because he didn't want to go there and not offer anything. And and it was a changed focus, Chip, uh, from, you know, picking up the pieces, if you will, from the president's initial gaffe on telling the truth with their strategy uh, in tandem. So I think he he accurately pulled away from that because it was not an Aggie trip whatsoever. Now, I know we had a discussion saying, I think you should still go out there, et cetera, and talk about rural America. But when the White House has a focus change, you have to listen. And Vilsack is a team player. So I know that he got the signal another day, another time for other issues. Okay. You touched on this briefly near the start of the, the podcast here this morning. A uh, little more, flesh it out just a bit on what you're watching for in the week ahead regarding the infrastructure bill. Well, we're going to get some more leaks now in the next uh, you know, week because they're writing legislative language. So th that's where the leaks will come yeah. from the staffers up on, on Capitol Hill. So we'll put we'll put some more meat on that bare bone, uh, you know, Chip, right now. And of course, I'm going to see whether or not they they include some of the language of what we talked about relative to year-long uh, uh, E15 and and uh, other issues. So, uh, but I, I continue to say, and I may be in the minority here in Washington, I sense both bills eventually passing, but the Democrats are going to pour a lot of money to the far left Democrats in, in order to get the two-step approved because Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and she, she is very consistent. She says she will not bring up the hard physical infrastructure bill unless and until the Senate passes both hard infrastructure and the rec reconciliation bill. So that means the White House strategy and the Democratic uh, you know, lawmakers in Congress, the leaders, will focus on what does it take really to get the reconciliation bill passed. And I think that's limiting it to no more probably than $2 trillion. And then how do you deal with Bernie Sanders and others who yeah. want up to up to $6 trillion? You offer them sweeteners that, they're, uh, that they really can't refuse, Chip. And I think that's what's going to come down the pike eventually to get both bills passed. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, any other issues that you feel like we need to mention that you're watching for the week ahead? I think that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? 
Two quick things. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to still get USDA. They're saying that it's a policy writing thing on those lapsed uh, uh, hog payments. Remember that was an, that were announced in December of last year, and some of the uh, NPPC uh, officials are taking some heat on not on not getting that thing announced. I, I don't think it's their fault. I think it's when Vilsack uh, said, "Wait a minute, we need more." Uh, you know, you know, regulations involved with this, but yet they went ahead and offered payments already to contract poultry producers. That's one thing. And right. the other overarching thing from a market perspective, I've got pretty long-term hog industry contacts, and they're saying the PERS has had a dramatic impact on U.S. hog production. And I think USDA may be dropping the ball on this. And we're going to see some uh, lower production in the months ahead. We're going to see uh, fewer, uh, you know, pigs per litter. If that's the case, that's going to be evidence that PERS is a lot more impact than the, than the uh, you know, current markets, you know, tend to suggest. Very good. Very good. Hey, there's a couple of questions coming in here real quick. Uh, the first one from Chad, Chad Ingalls. Hey, Chad, glad that you're there. Uh, is the reconciliation bill even written yet? No. Okay. No, neither, neither. And see, this is why there were, it's called framework. And that's when you have enough to, to have officials feel comfortable that they can, they can put in placeholders and things like that. That's what's being done this week and probably next week. Okay. This one from Kirby. Any chance that terminal blending infrastructure will be included in the infrastructure bill? There's not much in there for biofuels, is there, Jim? No, but you could see a series of, of at least attempts to include some biofuels language that Emily indicated from an E15 perspective, transparency, uh, you know, things like that. And as I began the program with Chip and Emily totally agreed, try to get as much as you can in codifying these things. We saw the same thing with waters of the U.S. It was never, the negatives on water of the U.S. was never, were never codified in there. So that le left it up to the administration to determine you do not right. want that in this environment. Right. Very good. Very good. One last one from Jared here, Jim. Uh, will Biden's gaffes continue to supersede agriculture's needs? Is that a signal in and of itself where the priorities are? I think uh, they could, but Vilsack has an ability to pick up the phone and directly get to the president and saying, uh, you know, when it comes to ag, you know, you know, you know, call me or let me determine that. And I think that's in, you know, well understood. So I, I hear the question, uh, but I don't think that's the, you know, that's the likely scenario. We're going to see a, one final thing, Chip, a lot of my emails, will we ever get whip plus for 2020 disasters they rachel some problems in the south you know southeast and some of the things that we've seen already this year my answer is yes that's going to happen in one of these two bills as well so we've got a lot of focus happening over the next uh, you know say month on you know what's going to be included that will impact you know the uh, the ag sector gotcha Gotcha. Good job this week, Jim. Really good stuff. Uh, great perspective on what to watch for in the week ahead. Again, a big thank you to yes. Emily Score, 
the CEO of Growth Energy. We're going to be turning up the volume on what's happening in D.C. on AgriTalk at 10.05 Central and get market updates at 2.06 Central. This morning, we're going to have a conversation with Dermot Hayes from Iowa State University. We'll get into the PERS conversation Absolutely. a little bit there, Jim. With, Absolutely. With, with He's Dermot. a good guy. And, uh, you bet. We're going to be talking about the slowdown in the hog processing. And uh, then we're going to have a conversation with uh, Phil Flynn from Price Futures Group. He's the energy analyst there. Find out how long this $75 uh, crude oil is going to be around. Thank you, Deanne. Appreciate that comment there. It was a fun show today. Have a great week and keep watching for all those signals. 